and it was just magic. It was just magic. So that that's when the bug bit. That really determined my life course until, and this is what you're really good at, and this is what we looked into, reinventing yourself. Any actress, and I've had a lot of success. A lot of actresses have not had near the success I have. I have been so fortunate. I have not become a household name. That was never anything I really aspired to. I wanted to be a Broadway actress. Hi, I'm Sylvia Beckerman. Join me today as I talk to an extraordinary woman who is changing the world by making a difference in her life and the lives of those around her. Hi, I'm Maya Dillon, and today I am talking to Sylvia on Sylvia and Me. So, Sylvia, what should we talk about? (laughs) Well, Maya, first of all, I want to give our audience a little bit of background for those who may not know who you are, and those are people who haven't gone to Broadway or any of, you know, the shows. And we'll start off with you made your Broadway debut in You Leonard's Da. Um, you were uh, nominated for Tony Award for Best Featured Actress in Crimes of the Heart. Um, you've uh, been in Agnes of God, The Corn is Green, Hay Fever. In fact, if I remember correctly, Agnes of God was actually written with you in mind. So you've had and still have quite a career in the theater. What I'd like to do is kind of go back to, I understand that from the age of 10, you wanted to act. How did you know that? How did you know that that was a passion and that was something that you wanted to pursue? Um, Actually, uh, you and I have something in common uh, because I lived in, I was born in Colorado. So we lived in Denver till I was five and then moved to Iowa. So that's not the part we have in common. But well, I did live in Denver for a little I bit. I know you did, I know you did. <laughs> I, um, I, I don't remember it very much, except my heart goes out to all the people who lost their homes in the terrible fire a couple of weeks ago. Um, and and that is relates to a passion of mine, which is global warming, mm. which I think the guy who named it really did us a disservice. He should have called it climate chaos and everybody would have been on board because that's what we are all um, experiencing now. Anyway, back to age 10. Okay. That's when I was in Iowa and I, um, I decided I wanted to play in the band. You had a choice in fifth grade, you could choose an instrument. Um, I went to the, to the music shop and I chose a piccolo and the, the owner of the shop said, well, you, you can't choose a piccolo. You have to learn to play the flute before you ch- learn to play the piccolo. And uh, the reason I wanted a piccolo is because I was very tiny. In fact, my first day of fifth grade, um, the bus driver, because I had gone to a new school that was specifically built for kindergarten through fourth grade because they um, I'm part of the baby boom. And yeah, join the club. club. Um, And so he wouldn't let me on the bus for the fifth graders because (laughs) I was too small. Anyway, back to the piccolo. So the band director um, 
uh, well, we rented the flute and for a month I tried to play the flute, but the band director didn't know how to play the flute. She um, was in charge of teaching everybody how to play their instruments. And I tried and I tried. And every night I brought that darn flute home and I was blowing into it and I couldn't make a sound. And so she told my mom I had the wrong shaped mouth to play the flute. Excuse me. Okay, uh, <laughs> there, there's yeah. something new. Yes. So we took it back to the shop where we'd rented it. And the man who ran the shop, Mr. Leach, said, what? She has the wrong shaped mouth? That's ridiculous. He said, give me half an hour with her. If she doesn't play the flute by then, I'll let you return it. So he became my flute teacher. And I went from being a total failure to being first chair flute in fifth grade, sixth grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, 11th grade, 12th grade. And I actually played my flute at John P. O'Meyer's wedding, the, the man who wrote Agnes of God. Um, anyway, uh, so, and I played my flute in the movie, The Money Pit. <laughs> so, one, of, one of my favorite movies. So this is, this is, you know, adversity. This is a lesson. Don't give up. When somebody tells you something, don't take it for the truth you know, do, do some investigation. And I don't mean all the crazy stuff that's going on right now where people just listen to somebody else and decide, oh yeah, that's the truth. Oh. Um, you know, empir empirical evidence uh, anyway. So I was playing the flute and, and Mr. Leach became my beloved teacher. Well, when the road, the national tour of the Sound of Music because we're talking 1965, when mm -hmm. The Sound of Music came through Des Moines, Iowa, they did not bring a full orchestra in every town. They would add local musicians. And Mr. Leach was, was a brilliant clarinetist. So I had to go see The Sound of Music because my flute teacher was playing in the orchestra. And my dad took me to The Sound of Music. And all I remember is sitting there saying to myself, Look at all those little girls down there. How come they get to do that? How old were you then? I was 10. There you so, go. Yep. And then the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, and I had the most wonderful mother in the world. Um, not like the tiger moms now who <laughs> seem to do everything for their kids and end up with these, you know, kids who don't know how to do anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So on a Thursday, we had music in school and the music teacher who was not the band director, I don't remember who she was, but the music teacher called about six names to stay after class. She wanted to talk to them. My name was not called. I, I, and I talked to my little friend after class. I said, what, what, what did she want you for? And my friend said, oh, it's that um, they're doing auditions for this thing at the high school, The Sound of Music, and so people are auditioning for this on Saturday. So she wanted to know if I, if I wanted to do it. I, I, I don't want to do that. Anyway, I went home crying, and I cried to my mom that they didn't pick me. <laughs> and my mom said, well, if you want to audition, then call the teacher. And in Good those days, I know. We actually, your mom. Yeah. We actually had a uh, booklet that was published that had all the home phone numbers of the teachers. Yes. In the 1960s. Remember that? Yep. I back do. In the old days. Yep. 
Well, I sat at that phone for at least an hour, staring at it, staring at that phone number, trying to build up the courage to call a teacher at home. And I finally did it. And a kid picked up the phone and I, I just about fell off my chair because I didn't realize that teachers had children. Anyway, he got Mrs. whatever her name was. She came to the phone and instead of saying, I'd like to audition for The Sound of Music, I said, why didn't you pick me? <laughs> and her answer was very telling. Her answer was, well, you're so quiet. I, I didn't think you'd be interested, to which I replied, well, I am. So she gave me the information, which was on Saturday. So if I'd waited a week, I would not have had the opportunity. Um, and if my mom had called the teacher angry, you wouldn't you know, have gotten the No, I don't you wouldn't think have I would have gotten it. No. Yeah. So I went and I told my mom at the audition that I was going to get the part. And she said, now, Maya, there are lots of little girls who are auditioning for this. You're not. And I said, no, I'm going to get it. Um, and I did. My name was called. And then they lined us up by height. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I know what that's like, yep. So there was a kindergartner playing Greta, the youngest one. Uh -huh. Then I played Marta and my, here I'm a 10 year old, you know, my first line I ever spoke on stage was my name is Marta and I'm going to be seven on Tuesday and I'd like a pink parasol. And I auditioned for a production that the community theater was doing of the Canterville Ghost, which has a, I don't know, 11-year-old in it, the lead. Uh, it was made into a movie with, uh, it's an Oscar Wilde play. It was made into a movie with Charles Lawton. And I got cast. And I remember walking down the steps of the set and hearing some little kid in the audience saying to his mom, is she real? <laughs> And it was just magic. It was just magic. So that, that's when the bug bit. That really determined my life course until, and this is what you're really good at, okay. and this is what you looked into, reinventing yourself. <laughs> the actress, and I've had a lot of success. A lot of actresses have not had near the success I have. I have been so fortunate. I have not become a household name. That was never anything I really aspired to. I wanted to be a Broadway actress. And that's what you, and that's, that's what I did. Who you are. I, that's what I did. And I, I, I have had so many wonderful experiences in the theater. Now that I've married to, to, to Kira DeLay and moved up to Connecticut, I've had some wonderful experiences in Connecticut theater. There's fabulous theater in Connecticut. Um, but any actress approaching her 40s mm -hmm. is faced with the fact that the parts just drop off a cliff. Well, that's that's something that I wanted to talk to you about, because you're in you, you found this passion when you were 10. You found it and, and you worked at it and you fell in love with it and you actually went and got a BA in theater. And now what you started talking about is just so important because I want you to continue 
acting in your 40s as a woman. Go ahead, Maya. What takes place? <laughs> well, I remember reading an interview with Meryl Streep. It was in the Equity News. And she was lamenting there were no parts. And I thought, oh, my God, if there's no parts for Meryl Streep, <laughs> what, what uh, chance do I have? Um, and in terms of reinvention, maybe I had it easier than other people because actors, that's what life is for an actor. We continually reinvent ourselves. Every time you do a play, you are reinventing yourself. Yes, you are. But we're talking about not just reinventing yourself in a part, but taking some of that that you've learned, the perseverance and and being there, being in the in the moment and taking that. And what did you do with that? Because you're not just talking, yes, every single part you have is different. And also you've got to, I'm sure, in a little way, kind of reinvent yourself every night that you're performing that same play that you did the night before. Very um, true, very astute, yes. Um, but you well, went I, a little bit further. <laughs> I did. I actually did. Um, I looked around at my relationship that I'd had for 10 years and I, I was not happy. Um, I was not feeling the commitment. I actually begged him to marry me, which when he wouldn't, that's the best thing he ever did for me. I should be so grateful down on my knees to him. <laughs> um, but uh, I left him at age 40, looked at my uh, social security, you know, that, that thing they send you every year, which shows every, every penny you've made yep. in a year. Yeah. And I looked at it and went, oh my God, I am not making, I mean, I'm working all the time and off Broadway. I don't know if you know this, but pays a pittance and it doesn't pay a salary that is livable. Um, and most actors uh, pick up stakes and go to California. Now there's a lot more film and TV work in New York, but at the time there wasn't. And most actors would have to go out to LA if they wanted to continue acting because staying in New York was not an option. It does not pay a living wage. Um, and it's a shame because we don't really honor our artists. Um, but that's the way it is. You know, this country really does not support arts. Most artists I know have to have another career. And so I looked around and I thought, okay, I need to do something else that's going to bring in income because I can't count on. Maya, let me just interrupt you for a minute because okay. the perception of anyone in the theater in film in, is that they are making so much money. They have this notoriety. They, you know, it's, it's a perception that has um, really, I think probably hit home harder now due to the pandemic. But mm -hmm. as you were saying, it never really, not everyone is a big Broadway you know, star or a name or Tom Hanks or Meryl Streep or yeah. Paul Newman, as yeah. we'll talk about our town, because I think that's a great story. 
So what did you decide to, how did you even decide this? Well, I looked, I looked into, I thought, okay, I've been able to, I've been lucky enough to make my living as an actress for almost 20 years. Um, I moved to New York. I gave myself four years to make it, which I didn't, you know, the, the foolishness of youth, you don't realize just the idiotic things you think. Um, I, I gave myself four years to make it in New York to get on Broadway. Now, luckily, I actually did it in a year and a half, which <laughs> is extraordinary. Very. I mean, that doesn't happen, but I did it. So, uh, and I was determined to do it because that was my dream. Um, anyway, I've been making my living as an actress. And I wasn't willing to do something that I wasn't passionate about. And actually, I think that's a good thing because if you're not passionate about it, you're not going to be happy doing it and you're not going to give it your best. It will be a burden. It'll be an awful burden and it'll affect everything else you do in life. That's right. So I had always been interested in alternative healing and I didn't really know that. I just knew that, well, I went home to my parents who had by then uh, retired to Florida. And I just, I, I didn't know what to do. And it was my mom, my fabulous mom, who has since passed away. But my mom said to me, well, you know, you've always been interested in healing. And so I I looked into that and I was, I looked into what I taught myself about herbs and homeopathy. And really the logical progression was to become a naturopathic doctor. The only problem was the only schools at that time, (laughs) the only three, I think there were three schools in the Western hemisphere And one was in Oregon, one was in Seattle, and one was in Toronto. And I didn't want to give up acting. I just wanted to be able to support myself as an actor. (laughs) Exactly. And that's when I discovered that, wow, they had just licensed acupuncturists in New York State the year before. And they opened two schools in Manhattan. And it had never occurred to me to become an acupuncturist because I thought you had to be Chinese. I'd had had acupuncture. In fact, when I was doing Crimes of the Heart, I got really sick. And the only thing that really helped was acupuncture. A friend of mine introduced me to this fabulous older Chinese acupuncturist. And at that point, they were kind of working under the radar. I applied to the Pacific Uh, At that time, it was called the Pacific Institute for Oriental Medicine. It is now the Pacific College because the year after I graduated, they got a a college accreditation. So I do have my master's in Oriental Medicine. I'm licensed in acupuncture and herbal medicine. And I have an interesting thing to tell you. In in one of our classes, which was, I, I think it was teaching us how to interact with people and and. We had to do mock interviews and get used to speaking and talk. Well, that to me was the easiest thing in the book. I mean, I I never had trouble with that. Um, I got over my shyness 
I guess, over the years of being an actress, because you have to speak in front of a lot of people. And my partner for this exercise, you had to interview them and listen to them and, and ask questions and find out. And the one thing that just floored me was, and I asked him you know, why he wanted to become an acupuncturist. And he was working in a big bank somewhere down Wall Street or something. And he was making a lot of money and was miserable. And he wanted to be a healer. He was so afraid because he said he was giving up this um, steady job and he didn't know if he could just leap into the future and do something like acupuncture where it's so precarious. You don't know that you're going to, and I just had to laugh because here I was going to acupuncture school because it was going to be a much steadier job than the one I had. <laughs> anyway, it's what I've learned is life is all about perception mm -hmm. and what your beliefs are may not really relate to, to actuality and you need to step back. Yes, you do. Back. And, and that, that's, that's, yeah. that's something that is so present that you need, especially nowadays, you need to step back and take a look. And I know that, um, some of the advice that you've given to uh, young people who want to go into theater and acting, a couple of things. One is it has to be a passion, but you've also said there has to be something else to fall back on. It's true. One time it, when I was doing Crimes of the Heart, my mom called and asked me if I would speak to this young actress that was the daughter of a friend of a friend in Pennsylvania. And she just moved to New York. And so I, I yeah, I, I invited her to lunch or tea or something. And the one thing I said to her was, you need to find something else that you enjoy doing that gives you income because acting will give you joy. It can also give you pain. The funny thing is, years later, oh, 15 years later, I went to a voiceover audition at a, at a studio, voiceover studio. Um, and the woman who was running the audition said, you don't remember me, do you? I said, no. And she said, I, I came to you as a young actress and you told me, to get something else that I could fall back on. And she said, and this is what I do. And she had built up this very, very successful business um, as a casting director for, for commercials. One of the things that you've talked about as far as how um, acting and, and, and theater that, you know, it's a shame that the arts have uh, been depleted in schools because it teaches um, us to really, it teaches us how to relate 
to other people. Uh, you've talked about face-to-face -face communication and you spoke about improvisation before. And that comes into our lives without even thinking about it because no matter where you, if you meet someone new, you're improvising. If you're going on a right. job interview, you're improvising. And didn't it happen when you were doing Our Town um, right after 9-11 on Broadway? Paul Newman um, talked his wife into letting him be in it, be the stage manager. And didn't he do one scene out of sequence? Order. Uh, yes, he did. Uh, he and you all improvised. Yes, we did. And, and you know, that's that comes down to um, James Naughton, who um, is a Connecticut native and a fabulous person, an amazing director. And uh, he, I think he was standing at the back of the house watching the show that night. We had barely opened. Um, in fact, we probably hadn't even opened. So Jimmy Naughton was standing in the back of the house and Paul launched into, he skipped one of the monologues and launched into the one that should have happened 15 minutes later. And he skipped the one that introduced the entire town. And I start listening and I realize, oh no, we're, this is the wrong monologue. So we kind of all gathered down to the stage and Jim's, um, Jim run, ran backstage. He's with the stage manager, the stage manager who was this fabulous woman who just never lost her cool. And now she's got to call different light cues because you know those things are in a computer. So um, Jane Curtin is off stage and she realizes it immediately. And she grabs the actor who um, needs to go on for the scene that he's introducing and uh, I guess grabs his, his coat off him because the scene he's in, that uh, Paul is introducing, um, the actor has to be, um, you know, there's no props in our town. It's all imagined. There's barely any set. It's all the town. Anyway, he's, he's miming pushing a lawnmower. Well, Jane Curtin grabs his jacket off his back and basically shoves him toward the, <laughs> toward the stage because that's the scene they're working into. <sighs> and everybody just um, went with it, went with it. Well, you know, we've touched on so many things today. I remember when I first contacted you, you didn't know what we could possibly talk about. We've hit upon passion. We've hit upon how something can start from nothing, how non-helicopter moms can give us the power to really push ourselves ahead. Um, how, you know, I, I know that you went into uh, getting your BA without a major in mind and, and theater is your, your absolute passion, uh, aside from when you do play flute. Um, how, you know, theater and improvisation, um, balancing work, reality, um, having something to fall back on, becoming an acupuncturist and, and reinventing. In days, uh, you know, like the times we're living in, 
there's so much we could go into. So Maya, I want to thank you because I think we have more conversation. I would love to at some point really get into um you know, women in, in, in your profession and in a lot of other professions also who are discounted at the age of 40. And then, as you once said, we come back as grandmothers. Um, there's well, no there, in between. There is no in between. Unfortunately, a, a producer, a very smart producer who was the friend of Kier's um, in London. And when Kier and I Kira and I got, I mean, the, <laughs> your world doesn't necessarily have to fall apart when you're 40. Um, that's when I met Kira and uh, I had never been married before. I, I told you I lived with somebody for 10 years, but um, I met the love of my life. And there you go. I, I, so life doesn't stop at 40. Sometimes it starts. Um, anyway, he told me, he said, don't worry about it when you're 60 you're going to have lots of parts and it's actually true and it is unfortunate. And I do think it's changing. I think it's changing because there are a lot more women writing. There are a lot more producers who are women. It hasn't changed enough. Um, but if you look at where women have come from not being able to get their own mortgages, not being able to have their- That, that was just back in the home. 70s. That's right. It was 1978, I believe it was. And I, I've repeated this quite a number of times. Yeah. A woman could not take out a loan without a male cosigner. And the male cosigner just had to be of age. So some women had their sons co-signing for them. <laughs> Well, so we have come a long ways, but yeah. we have a long ways to go and we cannot allow ourselves to go backwards. I guess the good news is that there are a lot more fathers who are stepping up to the plate. A lot more men are embracing their feminine side, which is not a bad thing. In it's not Chinese a bad thing. No, in Chinese medicine, the yin yang symbol Yin is female, it's the dark side of the hill, it's sleep, it's restorative, it's emotion. Yang, Y-A-N-G, they don't say mm -hmm. yang, you know, we say yin yang, but yang is male energy. It is the, the sunny side of the hill, it is action. It is being awake. Well, you don't wanna be awake 24 hours a day. You don't want to be male 24 hours a day. You need to sleep. You need to have introspection. And it's the balance. And if you look at that yin-yang symbol, which is brilliant, there's a little bit of yin in yang. There's a little bit of yang in yin. So every man out there has their feminine side. Every woman out there has their male side. And the balance is what keeps everybody healthy. It's what keeps the world healthy. On that note, I want to ask you, is there anything um, theater-wise that that's coming up that you're doing? I know that you know, we were coming out of the pandemic. A lot of people are, you know, we're, we're doing a little, we're doing better, you know. I don't know. I, I, I don't. think 
I think it's going to take a little while. And yes. at this point, um, none of the theaters are doing anything that I'm r- right for. Um, I, you know, I'd love to do a play. I don't know that that's going to happen right now. I was very fortunate that I, I did a movie in June. I, I auditioned with my phone because that's where auditions are now. You have to be, uh, you have to have your little home studio set up and you have to be your own um, casting director. You have to put your audition on an iPhone and send it in. Um, but I, I booked a, a wonderful film based on a young adult novel called, Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. <laughs> so oh, yeah. I play the Christian grandmother. Kathy Bates plays the um, Jewish grandmother. And we had a, an incredible, fabulous director. And I hope it's a huge success for her sake because she was just great. And I know COVID was a little, um, it, it was lower last summer, but that was still my foray getting on a plane. I hadn't been out of my house. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I felt yeah. totally safe. So I think, um, I think it can be done safely. We will, we will come out the other side of this. Yes, we will. I, I totally agree. Well, Maya, as I said, thank you so much. <laughs> it's been fun talking to you. So we'll do it again. Thank you, Sylvia. Thank you for joining me today. If you liked what you heard, please share it with another person you think would be interested. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. This has been a Life of Prey production. <laughs>